Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this narration of the web series The Last Terran. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 21 Who would have been out to sabotage you and your convoy? Mantu asked. There are always groups that didn't approve of colonization and humanization of planets, sir. Terra only knows how many, but almost none of them were actually violent over it. Rix leaned back, lost in recall. What benefit would there be in sabotaging your efforts? Mantu tried to see the motive. Most likely political. I never paid all of that too much in the way of attention. But it didn't make sense. Sabotage the tech structure of a far-flung colony so that it disappears and becomes an embarrassment. Channel the resources somewhere else. Just because we were basically a stratocracy doesn't mean that we're immune to the human ego or corruption. Rix gestured vaguely. Munter considered this. Given their lack of much prior experience with organics, preferring to stick to the exploration part of their charter, Munter considered their resource constraints equation. It made sense that competing entities consuming a set amount of given resources would willfully compete for greater amounts of said resources and complete particular acts to place the opponent at a disadvantage in consuming said resources. And in a society with constrained resources, it would perhaps be logical to do so. However, by the same token, entities should consider the investment of a given resource from the perspective of overarching benefit. In the case of colony building, it made sense that it would consume a significant amount of resources from the outset, but in return on investment, assuming a prudently selected site would be several fold greater. In short, Munter could see no benefit in a Terran sabotaging a Terran colony attempt. But resources would be so constrained that a member of your species would resort to sabotage. Mandu continued thinking. Well, assuming it was someone in the TSE, probably someone either opposed to us having a new colony, or someone paid to have that opinion. If that was someone else, who knows? I know the TSE was more or less looked down on by every other nations, but I never really paid it much mind, Rick shrugged. Would returning to your departure point provide another opportunity for a clue? Mandu suggested. Most likely. I hope to find something here, but I guess that was a pipe dream. Rix looked over at the walking frame for the first time in several minutes. Seeking your species is not an invalid effort, Munter replied, leaving out the statistics of finding Terrans. I appreciate the thought, M. If we are able to determine the ultimate fate of Terrans and perhaps obtain evidence that of the effect, including potential other Terrans, we would be able to assert adequately your status as a Terran and my status as non-malfunctioning. Mantu explained. Speaking of which, what's the chance your fellow Tacits know we're here? Rix asked. Mantu took a moment to think about the likelihoods as well as their own variant estimates. Approximately 37% likelihood that they are searching in an area of our departure for us. Approximately a 10% likelihood that they have an estimate on a direction in which we are oriented for travel. And approximately a 1.3% chance that they have a fix in this region of space to seek us out. Mantu double-checked the numbers. I thought space was big enough that they'd have trouble accomplishing that last figure. Rick's face appeared to scrunch. In theory, yes. However, as I've been accessing Galnet through the station and am able to make queries substantially faster than average organic, if they have a means of tracking the queries, then it would be quite easy to localize this area of space, Munter said. I don't suppose there's a way to slow your queries down, Rick suggested, and Munter flashed an instant negative ruin. Well, not impossible. It would require significant extra effort on my part, Munter replied. A bit like focusing on a particular sensation or the equivalent of ignoring said sensation. 
It would not be impossible, but would require the focus to do so, so as to prevent taking that particular action reflexively. Like holding onto a piece of ice and trying not to think about her being cold, Ricks wondered aloud. I believe that would be an appropriate approximation. Mantu flashed the rune for understanding obtained. So we have to get some food or some way of keeping me fed, run a mass scoop to keep the fusion going, and then we can plot a course to go home, all before your fellow tacits find us, Ricks enumerated. That is a reasonable summary. Given the time dilation impact as well as the distance covered, it is likely that we have several weeks before they arrive, unless there are tacits which have been alerted to our presence already and are on their way. Munter ran through the search pattern that they would execute in a similar scenario internally. So we might have a few weeks lead time, but on the other hand, we might not, Rick summarized. Correct. Will they do anything to blind if we do get discovered and run? Rick's face showed a strange degree of concern. It would be exceptionally irregular. They are most likely to inquire for data from the station's logs and sensors and ignore Blind unless some additional directive were in play, Munter said. Like a quarantine concern? Perhaps. But given that the station will have logs regarding the use of the medical field, it is unlikely that would be of any particular note. Munter replayed the walking frame's memories of meeting in the docking bay. Even a little excursion in the walking her back to her quarters... Munter's thought pattern froze and retracted that segment of memory. The Terran had not put on his helmet for that. It hadn't even registered to Munter. Quickly, they began running the likelihood of the bacteria-slash-viral infection, incubation times, latent impacts, and even immune responses by Quinn. Ricks was not unclean, but given how much the Terran sweated and breathed through his mouth when conducting particularly strong feats, it wasn't impossible that the station was in fact contaminated. Even though Ricks had come right back, that might have been enough. That is a concern, Munter flashed the symbol for chilling realization. What would they do then? Ricks asked. It took Munter but internally digging, but eventually found the medical contamination protocols within themselves. It was one of the few areas where Tacits technically had authority to act against organics. Exactly how was not clearly defined, but the authorization appeared to be enough. If they determine that there is a risk to a breach of quarantine, the organics are to submit indefinitely until such time as the quarantine has ended, Munter said, flashing chilling realization again. So Blind could be stuck here for a very long time. From what you've said about her from the station records, I don't think she would object to that too much, Rick shrugged. Tacit quarantine limits including nothing in and nothing out. Blind has no backup food supplies on board, Munter said, spelling it out. So... Indefinitely means that she starves to death. Rix's face was one of horror. Exactly. Unless they think that she is a risk to breach quarantine, in which case they have the freedom to action to maintain the quarantine, Munter said, leaving the statement hanging in the air. Meaning that if she tries to leave or someone else tries to get her to get food, the Tacits can intervene. Can Tacits commit violence? Rix asked, his face looking more and more grim with each passing word. Under normal circumstances, no. Medical containment in a galactic setting, however, is one of the few times where it is technically possible, Mantu said flatly. Ricks appeared to think for a long moment. Hold on. How does any being interact without it being a risk? Ricks pressed. Standard inoculations are maintained for all spacefaring species. You've had none of, and being from a 900 years ago, I cannot definitely say as to whether the inoculations would do anything good against anything that you might be carrying or anything you might encounter. Munter displayed a rune for worst-case scenario. 
If I'm understanding you correctly, I could already have gotten something from Blyne or the station, and or I may have been breathing wrong on the station. And now some ancient bug that's nothing to me is now a risk to make Blyne sick, Ricks attempted. That is correct. How do we fix it? Ricks immediately responded. Elimination of atmosphere and all organic materials will provide enough quarantine over a period of no less than 30 days, plus exposure to strong radiation would be nominally sufficient. Muntu read from the directive. Well, that's not happening. All organic materials, including me and Reggie and Blind, Rix shook his head itself in disbelief. So, we've got to ensure that Blind either has a way to feed herself for a long time, or she needs to come with us. That is not an unreasonable summary of the related outcomes. Well... I wanted to know how to make a trade. I guess this is it. So, how do we make it happen? Rick stood up and stretched. Which option do you believe to be optimal? If it were me, I'd say let's go for an adventure, but given how she reacted to me, I'd bet she'd rather stay here, far away from me. Rick said, bending in half and grasping the backs of his knees. In that case, I recommend I command the autofabricator to produce sufficient mass scoops and a portable printer loaded with standard Quinn food templates in order to support Blind for no less than a hundred weeks, Muntu said simply. But that's using her own stuff. How is that helping? Ricks prompted. Quinn often have issues maneuvering in space due to their instincts to fly in open spaces. The installation of mass scoops would be significantly eased if you were to place them and provide for the appropriate hookups, Muntu explained. Fair enough. Now we just need to tell Blyne all of this. Ricks looked at the walking frame, meaningfully. Now I will handle that. You go get suited up, Muntu said, and reached out to the communication system. Blyne, are you available? Muntu's mechanical voice and text came from the panel in Blyne's command center. Um, in what sense? Blyne asked the prompt and command communications panel. Do you have adequate time to discuss a matter of some importance? Certainly. What is it? Something wrong? In a manner, yes. Due to the period of time during which you were unconscious and Rick returned you to your quarters, you may have exposed one another to microorganisms and or disease uncommon to the other. Like, uh, he's gonna get sick, possibly. Alternately, you may become ill. I had all my shots, though. Due to the time period involved, that may not be sufficient. So what happens? I get loader-only deliveries and run quarantine for an extra two months. You two do whatever it is that you need to on sticking with the same. There is a complicating factor. I figured there might be. What is it? If a medical quarantine is declared and enforced by tacits, they operate a strict nothing-in-nothing-out policy with anti-organic enforcement if required. Wait. Does that mean that you'll lock us in? I am unable to do so in my current capacity, and Rick's maintained sufficient controls that he would be able to circumvent any actions I took to this effect. So you are fugitives, officially. I am a malfunctioning tacit call that has been hijacked by a member of a species whose extinct status is disputed. Same difference. You're being tracked down, and if they find you, things will happen. A reasonable summary. So how long is a tacit quarantine? Indefinite, depending on the anticipated countermeasures required. Countermeasures in this case being... Formulations based on standard inoculations, level 3 medical sterilization fields, elimination of all organic materials. That doesn't sound so bad. You would fall under the category of organic material. Oh, indeed. And your food supplies, while sufficient to permit you to survive without resupply for several months, may not be enough. So what's the good news? Mix and I are going to outfit your station with a portable printer slash autofabricator equipped with a Quinn food templates and mass scoops. This will provide you with sufficient supplies to maintain your food supplies. 
I'm not really into autofab food. It is intended as a gesture in good faith given the situation. So, how long do you two have until you get tracked down? Uncertain. Well, you're just full of good news, I guess. What do you need from me? Will you accept our outfitting of your station? I can't really say no. You can, but it would be inadvisable. I'm surprised your station is not already equipped with an equivalent. There's a bunch of the station that doesn't see much use, so they've pulled a bunch of the old auxiliary systems over the years. The pair sat in silence for a long moment before Blind's communication board chimed with a message, since messages were comparatively rare, tending to be various system-wide notifications. Blind didn't normally do more than glance at them. Tapping it up, she blinked long and hard at it, virtually. So too did Manto. System Terran message. Do not attempt to return to origin. Coordinates 0101A-777-003M. Additional coordinates to follow. What does it mean? Ryan asked aloud, not intending to. It means we have less time than we thought. End of chapter. Chapter 22. Over the following day, Manto practically ran their communications dry, just keeping the Quinn autofabricators busy and having Blind pass as much of the printed equipment to the fully suited Ricks as quickly as possible. Ricks had required significant convincing, but Blind had no desire to abandon the station and Manto did not wish to leave Blind at the mercy of being an inefficient organic. Secrecy abandoned, Manto began to pull every scrap of data the Galnet had to what would be applicable. Every spare Quinn template that could be found and preloaded onto the autofabricator and the portable printer was done so. Even the so-called premium variants. Munto had no idea what made them premium, but they pulled them down all the same. Every bit of medical documentation and autonomous medical center controls which could be downloaded, fabricated and outfitted to both the Esperanto and Ranger Station. It was the first time in having known the Terran that Munto could compare the Terran against another sapien-slash-sentient organic. Blind was utterly exhausted after a little more than two or three hours. Ricks kept on working. Manta, despite having become accustomed to sleeping as Ricks did, it clearing away strings far more peacefully than a hard system timeouts did, was finding themselves struggling to keep pace. Ricks just kept moving. The only times the Terran stopped and even visibly slowed down was when he required waste facilities or when he required food or liquid. Blind managed a total of six hours, teamed up with Rix and Manto, before she slumped against the wall and began the equivalent of a very loud snore for the next four hours. Rix broke from their pattern for just long enough to place Blind back in her quarters. As a distraction, Manto tried telling Rix about the system. Rix had perked up a bit at the mention of a debris field. Any way of telling how old they are? he asked. Manto was surprised, he asked, but checked the station's records as well as the solar system's cartographic history records. The estimates depend on what manner of cataclysm had led to the destruction. Rogue space debris ejected was the most likely scenario, but given the concentration, it seemed almost astronomically unusual. Mondo looked further, accessing inner system sensors, which didn't like their connection, but accepted it all the same. The fields were stretched by decades of mining and centuries of void forces. Mantis saw the query for the cartographic history records come back. The fields had been home to a kind of energy field initially. It had dissipated over the years, but it was still technically measurable in the right spots. It was considered a kind of natural phenomenon of whatever had caused the debris fields and little more than a kind of scientific mystery that the various organic miners told stories about. No, Mantu couldn't determine an age on the debris, 
But the strange process in the back of their minds had a strange suggestion. Does the Esperanto have the same energy? It asked. Of course not, was Monto's immediate thought, but internally they looked at the predator natural system, the so-called jump drive, and reconsidered. Turning the station sensors on the Esperanto, Monto had to be careful of getting the right angle. There was energy there, but not enough for Munter to get anything definitive. Certainly nothing that couldn't have been explained by the connection to the station, the simple materials interacting with FTL matter, and the fusion systems. The strange process shook its metaphorical head at these, but remained silence. I cannot. The fields do not appear to be exceptionally old in terms of stellar time, but have been logged as been in system since stellar cartographic records and scans of the system record, they replied to Rex. Rick said no more about it, leaving Munter to wonder if the Terran was still thinking about the possibility of sabotage. After the 18th hour of void walks, equipment placement, connections, and eating and drinking, on the move, Ricks hadn't said enough and collapsed into a bunk on the Esperanto, half collapsing upon entering the normal gravity. Munter kept going, pulling down as much about the Quinn and even firing out a few deep searches for Terrans and sensor spectrums. Even here, very little was returned. Terrans were acknowledged in a few places between all the various species, but there was next to nothing else. They had indeed existed, but the amount of information about them was scant at best. Even with Munter's prowess in looking through older archives of data for a forgotten databases, there seemed to be nothing. At least, not until a seemingly random query came back with the name Mist. Muntu eyed it suspiciously, having never recalled any such query. Opening it, another message opened within Munter's awareness. System Terran message, seeking that which is lost. Coordinates 5871R-284-876X. Additional coordinates to follow. Munter immediately sent this message to Rix's data scroll. No, he wasn't enough to wake Rix or Blind up, but he was most certainly enough to warrant additional preparations. Munter, turning down the Esperanto's gravity for long enough to get the walking frame off the ship, hurried over to the station and began printing up various components. Blind may not have a choice, Munter decided. If the tacit declared the quarantine zone, then galactic policy was that it should be treated as such until otherwise declared. As tacits were incapable of infection and could be sterilized to within a standard deviation compared to organics, it didn't make much sense that organics would doubt a quarantine. Perhaps Blind would be in danger, having been around a Terran, not merely biochemically, but socially. And if Rix considered the possibility that Blind may also be taken into protective custody, a term that Munter was otherwise unfamiliar with until that had queried it, then they doubted the Terran would leave her. Protective custody, a state in which voluntary choice is removed from the individual so that neither they may harm themselves or others may harm them either. Munter tried to consider why such a state would be declared on Rix. Rix was undoubtedly a fully sapient slash sentient. He fulfilled the listed criteria for tacitnet in being described as a Terran, right down to using the kind of brute force to adjust mechanisms. Why would tacits engage in such a case? Mantu thought back through all of the inheritance, all of their formulations as well as they could. No tacit had ever engaged with organics on that kind of level, at least none that Mantu could recall. So why now? Mantu asked. Did it have something to do with the possibility of a Terran, or... And this was perhaps more logical, was it, to prevent a tacit from harming the Terran? A tacit, like Manto. Except, the pursuing tacits from before the jump had almost certainly scanned the Esperanto and found it to be just as strange as Manto had when first encountering it. 
they would have seen the darkened form of Monto being placed into orbit, albeit attached to the Esperanto. This all must have been registered. So why? The strange process appeared to be smug, but said nothing. Monto felt surprised that they even considered the possibility of Blying being entered into protective custody. It was an unusual state of organics to be placed within, but common enough to warrant a separate entry within both the Terran and Quinn lexicons. On a whim, Montu started putting down additional lexicons as well as the changes to the Quinn lexicon since Blyne was slightly out of date from the current standards. Montu took a few minutes to fume internally at how slow the station's Galnet link was. Neither they nor Ricks had printed out the Galnet equipment that the Esperanto would need, but even the mid-level updated templates were an improvement on the station. Montu looked the station over again. It was old, even by Montu's standards. The station showed signs of having been in the system most likely since the Quinn first arrived. It didn't look like it had been built for a Quinn, though. More like built for another species than adapted for the Quinn. Mantu wanted to keep thinking on this, but the nagging errant queries in the back of their mind had piled up enough so that Mantu switched the walking frame into a semi-autonomous mode, charged with removing components from the autofabricators and stacking them in an orderly fashion within a nearby corridor, ensuring a clear pathway for organics to enter and exit. Checked the queue on the autofabricator and entered sleep mode. It was a soft kind of disconnection from the void and all of the sounds and pressures of the virtual environment that Manto existed in. Like feeding the various inputs from all the different systems still trying to talk to them, but on a far side of a rushing river which sounded like naught but a quiet rush of water. Manto had only been planted side to collect samples, but it astounded them at the environments in which organics might choose to live. So many of the planets were so clean from orbit, and yet they destroyed more than a few walking frames for being almost impossible to clean. Manta relaxed by the rushing water, not at all feeling disconnected, but still feeling disconnected. Even after the few times sleeping, it felt strange to feel their thoughts change so much by something so... simple. Time passed. The stars passed with speed overhead as Manta watched and Manto saw stars and worlds be born and die as they rested. The clunk of the bridge had caught Manto off guard the first two rest periods, but not this one. Rising virtually, Manto could see that it was a new bridge of a new twisted shapes. Manto wasn't certain why they had this bridge within themselves, but it was there and all of the inputs and queries were awaiting on the other side. Manto considered what it might mean to remain here. He was peaceful, for now. Manto did not know what would happen, what would happen to disconnect for so long. What would become of all the inputs on the far bank? What would happen to the bridge? What would become of the river? This is all the kind of simulation, was it not? Would anything change? Manto resolved to see what would happen. They picked up a small rock beside the river and set it next to the tree that Manto wasn't certain was there until they looked for it. It was a tall specimen, the likes of which Manto hadn't seen in years. The species was lost in Manto, and the leaves were a kind of deep maroon. Manto tried to fix an image of the tree in their mind, and where the stone remained as they crossed the bridge, and felt the inputs of the Esperanto come back to them. Feeling a kind of virtual gasp as they reconnected, they checked their chronometer. Eight hours had passed. They looked around the Esperanto and then connected to the walking frame. The walking frame had diligently worked until it had run out of power. Mantu had forgotten about those limits since they had spent the whole day working with Ricks, but it appeared to have been found by either Blind or Ricks and plugged into the station. 
Nix is visible on the exterior of the station, equipping the last 18 mass scoops that the station would need to support a pair of quins indefinitely, provided an adequate source of external mass could be drawn into the scoops. Blind appeared to have gotten a cargo lifter and was transporting the auto-fabricated equipment to the docking bay. She appeared to be tired already. How long have you been awake? Oh, hi. Um, an hour or so. Did Ricks ever get to sleep? He's like a machine, yes. Slightly before I entered the rest period. Oh, cool. I didn't know Tacit slept. We do not, typically, so, uh, why do you do it? It is a method of disconnecting and resetting that I wasn't familiar with until Ricks introduced it to me. He has some kind of tacit programmer. Is that why he's so special? No. He appeared to be just a Voyager pilot and captain by virtue of being the sole Terran on board. So he's the only being on board other than you? No. He is accompanied by a being known as Reggie. This, uh, Reggie. They're not a slave, right? I can't be helping slavers. Quint High Law, you know. They are not enslaved, but they are not a full sapien slash sentience in accordance with galactic standard metric 001. So why haven't I met this Reggie? Do you remember your reaction to Rick's? Of course. He still scares me. There's something weird about him. Reggie is a gene-crafted organic intended to bond with Terrans and assist with the collection of xenospecimens. Blind stopped pushing the cargo lifter and appeared to consider this. It took her two minutes, but a mix of fear, relief and understanding seemed to flood through her feathers and over her features in that time. I would very much prefer not to be chased by this predator if this Reggie is anything like Rick's. That is a reasonable determination. Rex, go ahead, Em. I'm just on my way back in. Didn't expect you to sleep in quite that late. I got another message. More coordinates. I saw. I added them to with our others. Those are not galactic standard coordinates. That's right. Mind telling me what they're for? They're for my jump drive. Munta managed several virtual blinks. How would whomever is sending those know about the jump drive? You said yourself that it was virtually a secret in your time, and I've never heard of it previously. I don't know, but once we get our next set, I'd suggest we go find out. Be as that wise, it could be a trap. You're sounding more human all the time. You're right, it probably is a trap, but it's a trap being set by someone who knows about jump drives. That's a better clue than we've had since we've gotten here. Agreed, but I recommend caution. If I was cautious, I wouldn't be here. Let's get back to it. Only thing to do now is work. End of chapter. Chapter 23. It was official. Ricks had to be a Terran. Or some kind of inexhaustible Xeno that she'd never heard of before. Which was probably the same thing. Blind was exhausted just trying to keep up with the figure who kept coming back for more gear. Either to be loaded into the Esperanto, attached to the hull, or connected to the station. She'd fallen asleep while pushing a car to the docking bay twice. Her muscles were sore to the point that she was almost didn't want to move. Even muscles that she didn't know were there were sore. And even though the Terran must have been tired, he certainly didn't show it. He just kept clomping along in an almost annoyingly steadiness. At least twice she wondered if this was some kind of tacit joke that she wasn't smart enough to comprehend. She still wasn't certain that it wasn't. She'd never heard of a tacit being anything but almost absurdly formal. But Munter had even appeared to relax from being formal to the point that she knew that she was talking with an artificial life form. She'd seen the one message come in and wondered what it meant. The coordinates had to mean something, but they weren't in galactic standard, so there had to be something else. Something tacit, maybe. Or something Terran. Maybe whatever FTL system they used to cross the from. 
She thought about the Terran and all the species she'd ever read about, even putting aside some of the more outlandish fantasy ones from the stranger stories. There were always some species in those stranger stories that just seemed impossible. Strong, fast, predatory in some, gentle giants in others, horribly large to the most adorable, absurdly smart to barely able to do more than act on instinct. The Terran seemed to be almost nightmarishly constructed, strong, fast, almost incapable of tiring, at least in a Quinn context. Large, predatory eyes and pulled, and smart enough to manipulate a void ship without anyone else on board, or astounding amounts of computing capacity on board. At least, when a tacit wasn't hooked in. None of the species in her stories were ever constructed this way. There were a few that were close, but they were most often dumb or supernatural in a sense. Like talons made of compressed carbon or transforming from one species to another by the effects of an undiscovered source of radiation. And even with the medical field still operating, Ricks didn't bother with taking off his suit, at least unless he did so while she was asleep. Each time she'd woke up, back in the nest, making her wonder for just a moment if it was a fantastical dream before her aching muscles told her that it was reality. She was still considering Munter's offer, though. She told the Tesset that she didn't want to leave, that she had her duty, but she knew that to be a lie. A good, very convenient lie, but a lie all the same. And so the Tesset and the Terran had exhausted themselves equipping the station with enough automated fabrication capability that she could easily turn the station into a ship itself and sail off to see the galaxy. She could even dine on the fire's cooked meals as though she had visited the highest Quinn house and dined with naught but the highest elder, prepared by the most honored chef. She felt even a bit guilty, having ordered a few samples in place of her normal mealworms. It wasn't that they weren't still delicious, but to have fresh bloodfish, warmed to body temperature, sprinkled with salts and vegetables, was a treat that she wasn't about to deny herself. Being fair, the fabricated food wasn't perfect, but it didn't have to be. It was more adventure in a single mouthful than she'd experienced in months, even with the trips to the inner system. She'd seen the bandwidth on the station's galnet link all but evaporate. The tacit munter seemed to be downloading an almost ridiculous amount of data through the link and sending out inquiries for more data all the time. She had no idea how munter could afford the premium fabrication templates, but she wasn't about to question it. Using her own data sources, she pulled up the old history of the system. The original arrivals of Quinn had found the system mostly ill-suited for living, much to their chagrin but had rejoiced at finding such a rich debris field to devour. They hadn't been equipped to the scale of orbital refining that they decided on, but they had made do, expanding rapidly and spreading into various functions, collecting slash mining, refining, construction, shipbuilding, and shipping. It had taken decades, but the system was working. The system would be exhausted one day, but the current estimates were that it would provide a reliable source of ores and gases for at least another thousand years. At that point, they would likely be able to turn the vast fields of scrap and use advanced versions of the mass groups that now adorned her station and produce even more. She wondered for a moment where all the materials were going. Were they being used to build for her people? Were they elevating some new species that had been naught but a footnote in one of the many news stories from across the galactic realm? Was there some conflict going on between a few desperate species, at least one of whom was willing to pay for the resources? She wasn't certain about any of it, not that she normally minded, but it seemed strange to consider where all the vast resources might be going. Ships came and went, building modest-sized cargo vessels, 
vast though they might seem, required a massive amount of materials to be properly refined and purified to be acceptable. The system was still little more than an outpost of the Quinn, self-sustaining in terms of major resources, but still a heavy importer of the finer parts of Quinn life. Turning back to the histories, the early miners had run into massive energy discharges when approaching the debris field. Some of the vessels had even drifted too far inward to be recovered at the time, leading to avoidable deaths, had they even been remotely able to extract themselves far enough to be pulled away. The edges of the fields had been enough to start, and as the edges blurred with a slow expansion by various void forces, the energies had dissipated, sufficient that it would still be detected, but was only harmful to vessels who shouldn't be in the debris field anyway. The miners had told stories, of course, of dark mysteries and strange debris that had eluded them in the fields, of glimpses of strange species hiding amongst the debris, having adapted to doing so after a cataclysm destroyed their worlds. There was never any truth to such stories, but Blind couldn't ignore it. Hey Terran, 900 years late, in search of a colony that never came to be, of a species that didn't seem to exist except as a kind of footnote, and even then, only the barest hints. Yes, Blind had seen the search history being executed by Munto. The Terran didn't seem to exist or had little more than extinct note with it. Was it possible that something with the Terran strange FTL system had caused all that damage and that was the only evidence? What was the energy field then? What caused them to be destroyed? Why had none of the others of their species come looking for them? Why had they not claimed the space as their own? So many questions filled blind. She saw the airlock cycling like a blink and saw Ricks entering and orbit sagging to the floor. She gaped her beak in a small sign of relief. Even the Terran could become tired, it seemed. It was perhaps a bit strange that Rix had chosen her station to appear tired, but it was perhaps that he sought comfort in the completion of his duty. He was an individual doing the work of an entire house by himself. She questioned what kind of culture fostered that type of being as she left the command center and walked stiffly to the docking bay. It didn't seem like any kind of culture which had strong familial bonds tending towards those bonds of duty well-fulfilled she wasn't certain if she admired that or not. Being a Quinn, she felt that she should feel so much more of a kind of obligation to familial bonds. But being without a house, she wondered if that was still the right path for her. Her own achievements and a duty well fulfilled had resulted in several offers of a house joining. She hadn't wanted that, though. She wanted to keep it to her duty. And here she was considering abandoning her duty to join a nightmare made flesh and an artificial, the likes of which none of her people had ever dared create aboard a ship, equipped with an archaeotech that was somehow almost ridiculously advanced and hugely behind, headed for some wildly unknown location. It was crazy. It was ludicrous. And yes, she wanted to go. She couldn't deny it anymore. She wanted to go, but... As she entered the docking bay, filled with a silvery light, she wondered if she could even could. The suit containing Rooks was sprawled on the floor, the helmet beside it, revealing the Terran to be lying front down. Apparently, hearing her entry, Rooks looked over at her. He didn't appear to have the device that he had used to do translation, and without wearing the helmet, it seemed unlikely that they would be capable of doing any more than one-way communication, him talking to her. He didn't say anything, but continued looking in her direction, the gaze was steady, not the furtive of many Quinn, not the stare of intensity like a predator, but the gaze that seemed to let her know that he was there, 
and he was observing her. She couldn't put a feather on what was different about it, but it seemed... Comforting seemed the wrong word in her head, but it was the only one that came to mind. She'd never consider herself to be a xenophile or a xenophobe. It wasn't that she did not seek them out, but she had never been interested in going out into the void to meet them either. She'd been a content with a simple life. She still was. If the Terran and the Tacit left and she did nothing else for the next few years other than stay here and continue to do her duty, she would still be content. But the fringe of her feathers still wanted to feel the rush of strange winds in them, to fly under strange stars, to become a damp or dried on strange new worlds, filled with species not interested in the local gossip and the texture of the mealworms, as much as knowing about what else was amongst the stars and the beings that resided there. She walked over and settled into a seated position near prone Riggs. He appeared to close his eyes as she settled into position and returned his head to a resting position on the floor. She didn't imagine that it was comfortable, but supposed that perhaps much like her own exhaustion collapses, it didn't much matter, even if only for a time. She'd never had such a way of dreams growing up. She'd always considered that she would be part of her house perhaps as a medical professor or a preener of feathers, but she had become neither, and being houseless had changed her view of not only Quinn society, but the galaxy as a whole. And there she was, actually thinking about why she couldn't go with the Terran. She glanced at the medical field generator. The Terran, being lost out of time and not even remotely up on the latest inoculations against the various galactic melodies, was only half of it. Who knew what Terran might be carrying, to which she had no defenses? Rix opened his eyes again and looked at her. She didn't notice immediately, lost in thought, but did after a time. He lifted his head enough to gesture to his mouth, careful to hide those bones. Blind could only guess, but decided that he must be hungry. Manto, she vocalized into the heads-up display. Yes, came the text-only prompt. Is the fabricator capable of producing Terran foods? As I don't know what Terrans used to eat, not exactly. If you are asking if the Fabricator can produce foods as a Terran can and likely will eat, then yes. I've highlighted a few that I think he'll eat. That's all. Thank you. She bobbed slightly, looked back at Rix and gestured to her own mouth before standing up. Rix's face gaped slightly, mimicking her own happiness gesture, and returned to the floor. She walked through the well-traveled corridors to the Auto Fabricator, binding the tacit walking frame there, having run out of power again. She took a moment to hook it back into the nearest power supply and continued the autofabricator, past the various stacks of parts. It wasn't that she didn't know what any of it was, but in this moment, they didn't seem important. Blind brought up the menu and found the filter option that Munter must have added just for this. The list was fairly short, and none of the menu items sounded especially interesting to Blind. One even sounded downright dangerous to try and serve if the translation was even close. Fiery winged meat with congealed lactose and protein-filled with technically edible mold. She could only guess at what it was to the Terran, but given that it had toxin warnings for most species, she didn't want to try serving it. She settled on a cooked piece of meat surrounded by fresh greens. It wasn't particularly interesting, especially since it wasn't as fresh as she'd preferred when she'd dine on meat, and it was overly cooked. But if that's what the Terran would eat... She wouldn't deny it. It took a few minutes to print. 
She took the opportunity to look at the various parts and pieces in the hallway, trying to discern where the various pieces would be going on what their purpose. One stack of blocks seemed entirely foreign, like nothing she'd ever dealt with before. Stepping over to the stack, she picked one up and tried to figure out what it was and why 26 had been printed. Trinary computation device came the prompt on the HUD. Is that a new technology or an old one? I've never heard of that before, she mumbled. Old. It is what the Esperanto is based on, that appears to have the benefit of being exceptionally robust, but having far less bandwidth than standard quantum pairing channels. Why don't you just upgrade the Esperanto? To do what I'd want to do would likely involve building a new ship or putting the ship into a repair dock. Like, the fusion system needs overhaul to something more efficient for a start. This one operates at a mere 63.1%. Compared to, uh, I'm not up on my fusion systems. Standard tacit fusion systems operate in no less than 85% efficiency. Operations less than that are called for heavy maintenance. Anything else? Lots. But the meal you have printed for Ricks is finished. I took the liberty of adding a container of water. Brian looked over and confirmed that the container of water and a small plate of steaming meat on a pile of fresh greens was there. She picked them up and paused. Does he eat with his hands or does he do something weird? She asked frozen from taking a half step away from the auto fabricator. He normally uses tools. Apologies if that sounds odd, but your lexicon does not appear to have the equivalent word. Do I need to print some out? No. He'll be happy enough at cooked meat and water that he will likely use his hands in any case. Blind still wasn't certain about this meal, but she did have to admit that the cooked meat did at least look somewhat appetizing, even if it didn't smell it. End of chapter. Chapter 24 This area is now under quarantine. Unauthorized attempts to enter or exit will be fired upon. Was the only warning the trio got. As just over a dozen tacits streaked into being one full light second from the station and the Esperanto. Manto was asleep, but Ricks and Blind had been sitting up with each other. The exact reason had escaped Manto, despite Ricks and Blind explaining it separately to them without translation, but still hadn't made sense. By the time the internal alarms triggered for Munda, Ricks was already aboard the Esperanto and heading for the command deck. The torrent of inputs, the tacits in the space beyond, and the repeating quarantine demands filled Munda's space, as though the time resting on them wasted. How long have they been there? Munda asked. About five minutes, Ricks said, already clicking through the various buttons and panels on the command deck. Any message attempts? Munda guessed. None so far, but they may be waiting on you, Ricks began, rapidly tapping on a nearby pad. ESS Esperanto, Nivet Solar Ray Station 3, Captain Rixum, Terran, Station Master Blind, Kun, Muntu 41972, Tacit, Status Update Requested. Manto knew the request would be honored. It always was, regardless of the situation, whether distress or in simple check-ins. Tacit Manto 41972, wanted for self-destruction, alleged Terran, wanted for protective custody, Station Master Blind, unauthorized biological contamination, quarantine indefinitely. Manto put this onto one of Rix's screens and also on the command room in the Nivet station. What do you think, Rix? Manto asked. Rix glanced at it. I still don't like it. I get that I'm from the past and there's all kinds of diseases and the like. We're both a problem to each other now. But if their definition of protective custody is merely remotely Terran, then it involves me getting disappeared into a deep dark hole somewhere. And there is being no record of me or it. Not to mention, you're not destroyed, Rix said flipping a few more switches. And what do you think, Blind? Mantu asked through the communications link. No response was made. 
Mountain tried a quick peek into the station, but saw the primary links of the station already being taken over by the Tassets. Mundo disconnected from the communication connection so fast that there was almost an audible clunk. I do not know where Blaine is. She's probably on her own command deck, trying to sort this out from her side, Rick said. That is entirely probable, Mundo replied. It is also possible that our FTL transition destroyed myself. No idea. All of how it works is beyond me. No ambush protocols, though, is a lot more dangerous, though, at least to any vessels around it, Rick said, leaning back. Too bad we don't have the final set of coordinates, or we could just go there. Tacit Muntu 41972 not malfunctioning. Tacit Muntu 41972 online, Muntu protested. Error. Tacit Muntu 41972 not installed in authorized chassis. Authorized chassis destroyed by unknown energy associated with FTL method. Error. Method not found, was the reply. Identify protective custody, Muntu tried, hoping that maybe it was as bad as Rick seemed to think it was. Protective custody. Beings isolated from galactic community indefinitely. Identify criteria for protective custody under definition. No permissible criteria found. Identify criteria for exiting quarantine under definition. Elimination of all organic compounds. Quarantining period expected to last no less than 45 standard years. Muntu was taken aback. The quarantine protocol was built into their core. It made sense, given how quickly some microorganisms and similar could spread. Proper quarantines had to be enforced, except that such extreme measures were only ever enacted after actual breakouts of disease, and there weren't any allowances for updates to inoculations or any mitigating circumstances. Identify reason for protective custody. Designation, alleged Terran. Mundo tried to consider this and failed, since when had Tacits themselves included cared about organics this much, especially Terrans. Identify source of orders for protective custody. Tacit Matrix 10547. Provide logic structure for protective custody for alleged Terrans. Invalid request. Alleged Tacit Manto not authorized logic and structure. At this point, the process in the back of Manto's headspace seemed to almost laugh at Manto's attempts to follow logic and the response that came with it. Manto had never heard of not being authorized logic structures. It was partially a violation of the Tacit Code of Contact. No, strike that. It was a clear violation of it. Mantu had heard about tacit matrices, but they were rare and tended to be attached to manufactories, typically supporting or governing multiple manufactories of a region. They couldn't recall the last time they'd heard of one issuing orders except for supplies. I think your interpretation of the situation is correct, Rix, Mantu finally said. Then I think it's time for us to get out of here, Rix nodded. Any last-minute coordinates? None. Where are we going? Far enough out of the local neighborhood. We'll have a chance to get the last set of coordinates, maybe. What about Blaine? Mantu prompted and tried the station again, hoping the Tacits were leaving it alone. They weren't. The Tacits were in the process of shutting the station down and even attempted to lock the Esperanto into the dock. The system's being negated by... something. What are you waiting for? Let's go! squawked Blind, stumbling into the command deck, fully suited and clutching a bag. The Tacits are attempting to lock us into the station, but something is blocking it, Mantu said, printing the text into Blind's suit screen. An old lever I never noticed before, labeled in some script I've never seen before, but it looked important. And blue, Blind said. Mantu took a moment to process this. The process in the back of Mantu's head swelled slightly. Treated like the Esperanto. Mantu looked at the station again, and it hit him. The station that had been adapted for the Quinn must have been Terran at one point. It suddenly made sense, except it patently didn't. Mantu virtually dived at the station and pressed it for details, using all of the learned about the trinary systems used by the Esperanto, 
bypassing the more complex quantum pair links and sticking with optical links. It was all there, buried in the walls and struts and the bulkheads. There were massive gaps, too. Like an outpost station was floated up by the strange process. Rix's words coming back to Manto. The Terran outpost station, yes. That fit. It also fit blind statement about old systems not being used and so getting removed. Mantu dug into the sections of the station that they could. The Tacits might have had higher bandwidth means of control, but Mantu had deeper access. Mantu started by cutting the Tacits from the communications and by disconnecting the power from the Gullnet link. It wasn't everything, but it was enough. The Tacits noticed immediately and began moving inward, slowly, but coming. Rix, I can disconnect us, but if we can stay or take it with us, the station is Terran in origin, Mantu said to both Rix and Blind. I know, was Rix's only reply. Please take what we can with us. I only brought what I could carry, Blind indicated, and Manto taking a fraction of a moment to translate for Rex. Rex frowned, but tamped on several controls and flipped several switches. Thirty seconds later, and the tacit still getting closer, Rex leaned back. It's as close as I can get it, and I can't promise anything. Jump space is like nothing I've ever seen, so there may not be much of a station on the other side, Rex said. Blind merely nodded. Rick hit the switch, and the approaching tacits and galaxy around them went black. Natural Predator System, Pack Mode Launch, 1200-113148-1115-28, Error. Degraded Jump Recalculating, 614-28-614-27. Rick's turned back to Blind. Blind, for her part, felt a mix of exhilaration and shame. In the minutes since the tacits announcing the quarantine had arrived, and the Terran running for the Esperanto, Blind had known that this was decision time. She had managed to gather some Rick's Believes from her quarters, a package of mealworms, and a small media device holding images of various other media of her life from before she'd become a houseless. It wasn't much. She then struggled into the emergency void suit and entered the Esperanto, barely managing the strange buttons. Immediately on entering, she was surprised by how cramped it was and how almost ridiculously heavy she felt. Knowing the Terran's size, she'd expected it to be much larger but she couldn't guess why she felt so heavy, even allowing for the void suit. The apparently non-essential pathways were laden with all manner of materials from the autofabricator, contained in various fashions, so she had only one way to go. It had taken her through the shielding and into the main area. This was more open, but not by much. From here, she'd continued a kind of rush to find the Terran and the Tacit. She'd missed a lot on her way to this command deck. It was patterned very similar to her own, and so despite it being more cramped, it seemed almost normal, albeit definitely sized for a Terran rather than a Quinn. Rix's gaze upon her was the same steady gaze that she'd felt before. It seemed to be a kind of social prompt from the Terran, not one she was familiar with. But then the Quinn's social prompts often went along the lines of, Did you hear about... It annoyed her to no end that her species was so shallow. Even in the odd Quinn romantic novella, which she begrudgingly had a few, okay, a lot. There seemed a centric focus on contributing to one's house by entering into bondings with those of great potential or great status or both. Even though she and the Terran couldn't talk without the aid of Manto, it didn't seem to matter. If it was worth saying, they said it. If it wasn't, they didn't. Let's get you settled. We won't be able to check on the station until we're out of jump space, Rick said, Manto translating. Manta turned as much of their attention as possible onto the two organics. The lack of an outside in jump space still unnerved them. The two organics and their charge seemed strangely comfortable with each other, despite the fact that there was not a means of generating a sterilization field aboard. 
Rix led Blind to the section with the hibernation chambers and pointed to an empty one. You can have this one. As far as I know, it's never been used. But I don't know what we're going to do about microbes and the like, Rix said. I've downloaded all of the available medical data for caring for a Quinn, and our new medical systems can assist in this. Is that what this big crate is? Rix asked, pointing into the hallway. Blind seemed a little lost. Here she was, holding all of her possessions in her wings, a houseless as ever, and having deserted her duty and possibly having destroyed or stolen the station in process. The chamber that the Terran had indicated for resting seemed far from comfortable, inconsisting of a woven materials and spongy material that seemed to crackle as you moved on it. The sound caught Rix's attention, and he looked over. Sounds like the bed has started to fall apart. Guess that's what it gets for not being in hibernation for a few hundred years. M. Can we print a new one? Rick prodded the spongy material, eliciting more crackling sounds. Yes, but first, I'm going to lower the gravity first to something Blind can handle more easily. Rix appeared to halfway panic as he looked over to Blind and realized that she was stooped and not just because of the bag that she still carried. The gravity plates adjusted and Blind almost instantly felt better, as though she'd been dropped half herself. She straightened. Is that your normal gravity? She asked Rix. As close as I can manage, based on his memory, Mantu indicated, as Rix leaned into his own hibernation chamber and pulled out a scroll. How does he manage to live on that? she asked, rhetorically. Very well, Rix replied, carefully doing the Terran smile without showing bones, much to Blind's amusement. Blind also smiled a quin smile and turned to the indicated hibernation chamber. The spongy material wasn't much, but it would do for now. She only wished that she didn't have to bother with his void suit. She didn't know how the Terran had managed so much time in one, comparatively. She only hoped the last Quinn technician to visit the station had ensured this one was fully checked out. She also had no idea of how she was going to eat, drink, or relieve herself. And yet, looking at the Terran, even as predatory as he appeared, even outside of the massive void suit, she couldn't help but be excited. For the first time in a long time, she was going on an adventure, a proper one. She only hoped that it would live up to all those novellas in her bag and in her memories. End of chapter. Part 25 Six mostly uncomfortable hours later, a thunderclap reverberated through the Esperanto. Blind froze in position, having been about to pick up one of the cards the Terran had dealt her in trying to teach her a game. Montem had been helping, but the game followed a strange kind of logic. The thunderclap seemed to startle Rix and Blind, and Rix all but threw down his cards and raced for the command deck. He was out of the room and down the hall as Blind started to loosen her feathers enough to want to follow. By the time she made her way to the command deck, feeling ridiculous and needing to do something about this white suit, even if it was stripping it off at risk of becoming ill, Rix appeared to be quickly toggling buttons and checking various panels. What was that? Jump space exit. It's not usually that loud, but I've never used pack mode before. I'll have to make sure that we didn't damage anything, Rick said. Manto translated it rapid fire for Blind. Just because it is worth mentioning, it does appear that we brought the station with us. Ricks and Blind looked out the windows and saw the station was indeed there. Or at least, most of it. Almost instantly, the signs of atmospheric leaks and major structural damage was becoming obvious. Ricks, with Manto's help, disconnected from the station and took a moment to orbit it before redocking. The station was only half there, and what was there was damaged to such a degree that even a well-outfitted repair crew would have had a tough time putting it back together. Looks, sir, uh, like a broken tea nut, 
mumbled Bricks when they'd gotten a little distance and Monto started playing the scanners over the station. Monto noted how sad and blind look. If Bricks noticed, he didn't say anything. As much as I hate to ask, but is there anything we can salvage? Bricks asked, taking a moment to carefully flash the ruin, practicality slash survival. Neither blind nor Monto responded. Monto focused on watching blind, but having fully heard the Terran's question, I just not responding yet. Blind had looked over for long enough to see the rune, but had gone back to looking at a station. But then, it wasn't really hers, was it? Not anymore. She'd abandoned her duty. She'd begged the Terran to steal it for her so that she'd have something. No, this wasn't what she wanted at all. A deep sense of shame and guilt filled her. The excitement of leaving having drained away in the last few hours. Will they find us again? She asked after a while. Probably. But we've got some time. To them, we've been off the map for two and a half days. Long enough that they'll have started to search, but won't have any idea of which direction we went. Plus, we're out in the void, so that makes us extra hard to find, Rick said. A kind of pain in his voice that Munter recalled when Rick had spoken as the Encentia. Yes, we should be able to salvage something. If we're able to salvage some of the right equipment, we might be able to make it so that Blind can get out of the void suit. Yes, please. Blind turned away from the window at the very thought of this. Okay, well, then I guess let's get docked and see what survived. Your living quarters are part of the intersection, so that should still be there. Ricks pointed to the scan diagram of the half-disintegrated station. Anything else we should keep an eye out for, M? The Esperanto's atmospheric system needs rebuilt. The station atmospheric system should be comprised of enough smaller units that one of those might suit the Esperanto and could reclaim some of that space. Or, and this is just a thought, we can just see about hooking it up between the inner and outer hull and give ourselves some atmosphere to work in out there. It won't be much, but at least we've let one or both of us get out of these suits while we see about salvaging what we can, Rick shrugged. Manta looked at the space station between the hulls, the various machines that filled it, and the stacks of parts and materials throughout. It wasn't a terrible idea, but Manta wasn't certain as to what kind of work the Terran was wanting to attempt here in the middle of the void. Manta hadn't really paid attention when they'd left jump space, noting only that the nearest stars were 31 light years away and 52 light years away at vast measurement. Of what Manta had downloaded and cross-referenced in terms of stellar cartography, Neither of the stars had inhabited systems in orbit. This was not an unexpected occurrence, but it definitely took Munter a few moments to get their bearings. The jump drive had pushed him into the void approximately eight systems away. Munter needed to know something, though. How did you make the calculation for our jump without the additional coordinates? Truth be told, I spun the dial. I checked that it wasn't going to drop us in the middle of a system and ran with it. But that was before we went into the pack mode. So, I had no idea it was going to drop us here, Rick said. That seems unwisely risky to have not recalculated prior to our jump. Given what the jump did to the station, did you really want to risk it possibly destroying one of your fellow tacits? Rick seemed almost amused, but flashed a rune of serious query. No, of course not. Then there you go. Where were we supposed to have ended up? Blind asked. If I hadn't asked you to bring my station... Manta took a rough guess based on the direction of their jump and the duration, expanded it for the semi-log distance calculation that seemed to best fit the jump drive's travel distance by time, refined with the second jump now, and mapped out our screen on the command deck. I believe that we would have exited some 0.5 light years from GSR 42185, 
an uninhabited system, the one that is claimed by the Drakvi. I've heard stories about them. Never met one, though, Blight said, looking at the map and seeming to just realize how far they'd come in such a short time. Is that the secret Archaeotech? The FTL drive? Archaeotech to you, hyper-advanced for the people of my time, Rick said, smiling, still careful to keep his teeth hidden. Blind wanted to retort, but some part of her wanted to hold back. It wasn't the Terran part that was making her hold back, and it wasn't that she was effectively at his mercy on this ship. She thought for a long moment about it. No, it was because the Terran in front of her, while not technically an elder in terms of chronological age, would have been an elder in any culture that she'd ever read about, even fictionally, because of his being stuck in hibernation. Any being of elder status was one who had wisdom of their times, whether they were elders of their own species or comparatively elders in others. The lifespans of some species being that of mere years, to the decades of some species, to even the centuries of most tacits were rumored to live. In theory, Ricks should be something of a Tukith. Manta, what does the Tukith translate to in Terran? Like in terms of meaning, she asked. Maytukith is a kind of equal partner typically in business, but also in terms of adjoining houses. There is not an equivalent singular word in Terran. What makes you ask? I'm trying to decide if Rix would agree to being a Tukith instead of an elder, she asked. Munda considered the dialogues between the two, as well as those that Munda had directly with both organics. I see no reason why he would object. Is there a reason you think that he should be considered an elder? It's his ship for one. I couldn't manage a ship the size of my own. I don't think my feathers would take it. And he's from now over 900 years ago. That means he's thinking thoughts that nobody has thought for centuries. I disagree with the latter part of the statement, but I do take your meaning. Rix does have a substantial amount of knowledge from his time period, which does not appear in any standard archive. Why not, though? I know I asked this before, but where did all the Terrans go, and why? I do not have an answer to any of those questions. Hey, any time you want to cut me in on the conversation, Rix interjected. I'm sorry, Rix. I was wondering if you'd object to being called a Tukith. Blind answered, and Munter started translating again. Rix took a moment to check the scroll where Munter had hopefully pushed the definition of Tukith in as close as they could correlate between the two lexicons. Uh, sure. I mean, I don't see why that would be an issue. I feel like I'm missing some part of what it means, Rick said, shrugging. Unfortunately, the definition and cultural history would take much more than a simple definition to get across. It would be like yourself using the reference 42 from your lexicon, a number which appears to have significant cultural reference, but for minimally obvious reasons. Rick sprited. All right, he said. I'd be happy to be your, uh, uh Tukas. Mine nodded. Something she'd noted the Terran did for positive acknowledgement, and the two left the command deck. Once Rix had climbed into a void suit, she had taken a moment to get out of her own to use the relief facilities on the Esperanto. Strange as they were, complete with spraying water, and the consumption of a tray of mealworms and a container of water. She hadn't realized how hungry or thirsty she'd been until she'd nearly dumped the container of water down her beak and nearly dug a hole in a food tray in search of any errant mealworms. Rix had proceeded into space between the two hulls and had been appraising the status of the interior. Doesn't look like we should try and pressurize it. Looks like that sound was jump space energy hitting the atmosphere of the leaking station and it got translated to us through the hulls, he said when she came out, freshly clad in a void suit. 
The door to the station was stuck mostly closed until Rick switched a large metal shaft at an angle and levered. It wasn't that it should have surprised Blind, but it did. Seeing how quickly Rick had produced the large metal shaft and practiced ease at which he had used it seemed strange to her. She wasn't certain why. Her people had developed tools as well, but the way the Terran used this one seemed far less elegant or controlled than what a good Quinn might have used. It wasn't that it was crude, but rather that it was so imprecise. Not that it needed to be precise. But there was something in that which still bothered her. Together they entered the station through the levered open door. The docking bay was a mess. Various shelves, contents, loaders and assorted equipment was clearly tossed around the chamber. Ricks pointed to a long cable that led under a pile of boxes. I bet that's our medical fuel generator, he said, and began digging tossing the boxes with an almost practiced ease. It took three minutes to reach it. The top cover had apparently slammed shut in its journey across the space, protecting the inner parts to some degree. My doubt it'll work. These are notoriously sensitive, Blind said. Won't know until we try. How about you go see if you can get into your quarters and get some more of your gear, Rick suggested. Blind nodded again, and before she could turn to go, Rick switched out and touched her void suit clad wing. Hey! Be careful, partner. She nodded again and began a somewhat stiff walk towards her quarters, having to take various detours over and around various equipment that had broken loose, panels which had caved inward or outward, and even support beams which seemed to have carved the space in half. She reached the space where her life had been centered around for so long. There wasn't much there left unruffled. The nest was a mess, the leaves having already started fracturing, and yet... Inasmuch as she had wanted to come back to get something, anything, now that she was standing here, she couldn't remember why. Her life as a houseless was unremarkable, and while she needed a few hygiene items, which she would take, there was very little that she actually wanted to try and take with. The more she thought about it, the Rick's beliefs had probably been the most interest to her, not the images of a former life or adventures, not the stories of Quinn storing on distant worlds, not even the small collection of painted feathers that she'd accumulated. Taking a few hygiene items and tucking them into the void suit pockets, she apprised the room a moment longer before she spun on her talon and headed off to the command deck, or whatever was left of it. Due to the various piles of debris and outright open spaces, she had to deviate substantially to head that way. Passing her autofabricator, she was surprised to see something having been printed. Reaching in, she pulled it out, it was a small, flat sheet of some sort. There were markings on it, nothing she recognized. She tucked it into a small pocket on the suit and continued. The command deck, much like the rest of the station, was a wreck. Most of the screens were destroyed, the windows completely gone, and the far quarter of the room ripped away as though by thoughtless giant. Moving to one of the side panels, she checked for power. It was there, but only barely and on emergency reserves in any case. She began transferring as much of the station memory onto the panel's memory system as she could. It wouldn't likely be much or terribly useful, but it would be something. Something to show the proof of the situation if she ever needed it. It sadly also included all of her communications over the last 18 months, which wasn't much other than official duties, but it was still proof. Finishing, she pulled the memory calls and tucked them into the void suit pockets. She took another look around the broken command deck. This had been where she had been, where her duty had been, her now abandoned duty. Serving aboard a modified Terran station, 
She'd asked about it during the card games, but Rix had been oddly silent about it, and Monto hadn't provided any particular explanation. All that Rix had confirmed is that it was a Terran station of the Outbox variety. Brian suspected that it was something to do with the colony that Rix was looking for, and that Monta didn't actually know anything, but had let the matter drop, choosing to discuss her former house as well as explaining the concept of houseless to Rix. He'd taken it well, listening into the subsection of old terror culture, which had a similar value structure. The stories that Rix had told of old terror seemed like strange half-remembered fantasies, but they seemed to make him happy, so Blind was happy to listen to his tellings. Turning from the command deck, she had made her way back down to the docking bay, stopping by the food storage to collect what she could of what non-meal worm rations remained. The failing power meant that the stasis field had died and so the mealworms had died in the vacuum. She hoped what was left over would still be edible. The docking bay was a mess of various boxes, with the conspicuous absence of bricks and the medical field generator. She took this as a sign that he was working to get it operational. Heading back into the Esperanto, she made her way back to the inner hull and inside. A silvery light greeted her almost immediately, and she seemed to be almost flowing through the hallways. It was unusual, to say the least. Monto, what is going on? Welcome back. I've been adjusting the settings on the medical field generator. One of the settings is a dynamic area of effect. Using the floor plan of the Esperanto, I have been focused on adjusting it to allow for maximum of areas affected by it, so that you will have sufficient access throughout the vessel. It still works. She was a bit incredulous. Yes, not as efficiently with the Esperanto's power, but yes, it works. Fantastic, she said, and pulled at the suit, taking only a moment to set down the stack of rations. She started opening the pockets to retrieve the memory cores, and the strange printed item fell into her feathers. Monto, I found something in the printer. Did you print anything with writing on it? She asked. I do not believe so, but it is not impossible. What is it that you found? Came the mechanical voice of Monto. It's like an old kind of book page from when Quinn was still just one planet, but I can't read it. Monto's walking frame trundled up the corridor and turned to look at her, holding out its manipulators. She held it out and the walking frame took it. Monto felt a kind of shock run through their system in seeing it. System Terran message. He is not the last 0451G-001-042D. End of chapter 1. I'd quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and patrons. Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Lord Andrical, Dragzoon WRE, Holly's sister, Ambrose Cattell, and Quantum Wednesday. Thank you very much.